Welcome to Look Behind the Look, the new podcast that examines iconic looks in film, television, music, and fashion history. I'm your host, Tiffany Bartok. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. This week, my guest is the incredible Daniel Martin, who in the makeup world might be considered class president. He knows absolutely everyone. Everyone knows him. He is kind to everyone and can make anybody feel beautiful. He is also extremely socially conscious and an important voice in the industry and beyond, asking others to rise up and create social change. You're going to hear more about us talking about this in our conversation, but I will also tell you here that Daniel and I talk a little bit about an event that had just happened when we did the interview, and now it's been a couple of weeks, but it's still fresh in all of our minds. Daniel began his career apprenticing at an Aveda concept salon before teaching for the brand regionally, and through Aveda, he met Pat McGrath, and the story unfolds very quickly from there. His career highlights include his contract with the your beauty and his consulting for Honest Beauty. And now you can find him shining at Tatcha as the first ever global director of artistry and education for the brand. And I absolutely love Tatcha products, by the way. And no, nobody asked me to say that. Many, many, many professional makeup artists swear by prepping the skin with Tatcha products. So definitely check them out. They're great. A quick search of Daniel will bring you an insurmountable amount of videos with tips. They're especially for no makeup makeup and easy makeup. And I found myself watching hours and hours of them in preparation for our conversation. And I instantly was feeling his positive and clear Inclusive. We've known each other for a million years, energy beaming through each video. So if you ever want to improve your entire day, I suggest taking a look at them, just having them on in the background. And yes, he is the makeup artist who was that important element to Meghan Markle's royal beauty on her wedding day. But you'll see from our conversation that there's so much more to Daniel, and I am excited to share our conversation with you all. So Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. I am very, I've been wanting to have you on forever. Um, I just started this in September and, you know, um, one of my best friends is Troy and Nathaniel and they, they were like, yeah, when are you having Daniel on? And I was like, I love those boys so much. They're the best. Are you in the city? Yes. Oh my God. We, yeah, I live on the Upper West Side. Oh, what? Okay, we're we're getting together. I'm half yeah. vaccinated, so me too, me okay. too, totally awesome. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're definitely getting together. I can't. Oh believe, my god, I can't believe we're talking about like that now. Like it's happening. We're actually able to plan like summer and spring get-togethers. It's very yeah. exciting. Very... We're turning that COVID corner. So. Oh. My God, thank God. Thank yeah. God. Well, COVID, COVID for you has been kind of interesting because you were blessed with this position at Tatcha. Yes. Know, like, right hallelujah. In the how did that how did that come to fruition? Had it been in the works before COVID? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um I saw Vicky, oh gosh, I want to say it was the summer before the new year. And um she was like, look, this, and it was during the time of the acquisition with her, with now Unilever. Okay. And um, it just came out of the blue. And I was like, well, I'm on contract with Dior and Donna's Beauty. um, And you would have to, you know, for me to accept this, you would have to get me, you know, basically buy me out of my contract. And then she, yeah. And she came back and they're like, we can. 
And at this point, I was six years in with Dior, three years in at Honest. I have such an incredible relationship with both brands. But I was always able to play with, with Tatcha because they knew my history with Vicky. They knew that, and both weren't exclusive. They were non-exclusive. So I was able to have my hands with other brands that were non-compete. Oh, okay. So I was very fortunate to have that opportunity. But at that point, I was like, I kind of, you know, it'd be, I would love to get in full time, so to speak, to really get into product development, education, mm. and just kind of slow my role down. Yes. That, by that point, I was traveling for three years straight every month. With your. With, yeah, with your or honest. So if I wasn't in Paris, oh. I was in LA or, I mean, I just was all over the place and it just got to a point where it was like, I need to slow this down it's and then the pandemic happened and hallelujah that I had that Tatcha gig because I mean I don't know how oh my goodness what a blessing what a year yeah but isn't it some you every single makeup artist says the best part of the pandemic is being forced to stop traveling and I know traveling sounds so glamorous but like what you were heading up the shows is that were you traveling to do shoots and work or was it to promote yeah online? so yeah it was a bit of everything so up until that point like two months two and a half months before we like literally closed the border I was on a press tour with Elizabeth Moss for Invisible Man oh so which I loved by the way that movie was so good <laughs> so dumb um, so it was like Spain Italy Paris <laughs> London and then it was like uh, Paris again for the shows. Oh. So, and then Sundance in the middle of that. So it was like every month I was on a plane and then I had to, I was actually with uh, Megan the week that uh, the UK and the US were shutting down the borders. Oh, wow. So I was trying to figure out how I was going to get back before I couldn't. Oh um, so, yeah. So, once I got home, I'd been home and it was, it was a blessing in disguise. For sure. For sure. For sure. What, what is, uh, what's going to change about all that? I mean, I'm a little bit nervous in the way that I feel like the, for the press tours and stuff that people will see how easy it can be. And I'm scared for people to lose their jobs and things like that. But have you been hearing any buzz about how things like that are going to work now so that we're not exhausting a, a whole team with the press junket or. Right. I mean, um, I suppose the jobs won't really go away, but maybe they'll just find ways to make it easier. Yeah, yeah. I think this world of virtual yeah. will definitely play more um, because they realize that they can get the same information out, not necessarily having to bring the talent to the country. They could right. all do it remotely. Um, so that may change. Um, I think people want to get back into some sort of normalcy, but at the same time, you'll have to have precautions and you'll have to have testing. And like last week I was at 30 Rock with Maya Rudolph for SNL. And it was like every day that I was there, I had to get rapid tested. So, and then they had um, like COVID cops on set. So you had to have your face shields and your masks and like they would get you if you had your mask up or like if you weren't six feet apart, they'd come in like push you away. So 
I think the production companies have all figured out how to manage that lay of the land, but um, it's going to be, you know, Different. time for us to be like, okay, just be a bit more cautious mm-hmm. and just understand space. Understand space. Gonna, yes. Yeah. And it's going to take a lot of time. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'll be interested to see what happens. I know that SNL is doing everything right, but um, it sounds like they're like one of the only ones that really like are just very an- yeah. adamant about everything. So yeah. that must have been a lot of fun working on Maya last it week. It was, it was. And just to learn how the whole institution works. Of, like, of SNL? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I've been a fan of that show since high school and like have watched it religiously up until this point. So just to see how everything moves and the collaboration process between the writers and the talent and even their um, like the makeup department team. It's amazing. They are the gold standard. I feel like like such a well-oiled machine as far as jobs go. I remember when I was like wanting to do makeup for TV and film and they all said, unless you train, unless you train yourself at SNL, you have to find a way in at SNL. They're like offered. And I wrote a letter asking to mop the floor. (laughs) Oh my God. That's amazing. I was like, I will mop the floor. Never got it. It was a handwritten letter. I don't know if it got there. I don't know. I yeah, don't... that was one thing that I'm pissed about was that um, John D and I, who was doing my hair, we got invited to the to their room, to the makeup department head room, and we never had a chance to go because we were so busy. But like, oh. I just just to I see everything. See. I want to see. I know <laughs> he would actually be great to have on. Um, I think his name is Louis. And he's oh, been yes. there 25 years. Yes, I know. And he can do a bald cap like no other. It is yeah. just, I know he is, he's an icon for sure. Yes. I definitely would love to have that. Um, I wanted to ask you, oh, you're from Seattle. I'm from Portland. Oh, you are? Yes. Oh, so, have you gone home? Oh, well, I'm, I mean, Sorry. No, I had a huge <laughs> trip planned for July that got canceled. So I have uh, not been home for quite some time, but you know, yeah. it is the best. Have you been there recently? I haven't. I oh. mean, I haven't been there since high school. So oh my gosh, Daniel. I know. So I need to like go down to Portland. I have some friends in um Eugene that I want to oh, okay. see. Um, my niece is in, she's outside of Portland. So Aww. like, I definitely want to make my way down. Um, but it's funny after Portlandia came out, it's just like, <laughs> I mean, how does your friends and family feel about that show? I mean, they loved it just because it, people could see how special Portland was. They didn't see it as an insult at all, you know, but um, I think it, it. they didn't like how like now this area is 22,000 because Fred, Fred Armisen lives there or, you know, for renting um, the space and like um, all that stuff for shoots or whatever. So it became a little bit more funny. expensive, you know, where they heard um, where the tourist spots were. So I think they didn't like that. Gotcha. That the only thing, but it was, I mean, pretty, pretty spot on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the show. Oh my God. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Cause it totally reignited my interest of Portland again, because I mean, when oh, I yeah. left in the nineties, it was so different. Oh yeah. I left in 97. 
yeah, mm. 97 and then came to New York. But yeah, it was when I visit, it's very different. I loved how Fred said once, like, it's a very emotional city. And it was funny. He was talking to Terry Gross about it. And I was like, that is such the word. It's such an emotional city, you know, wow. Just, like everybody's so dramatic and, and carries the weight <laughs> of the world. But yet this like laissez-faire attitude, it's interesting. Um, Could you move back? I could move back. I could easily oh, you could. move back. But my husband, yeah, he's a New Yorker. I, I mean, know, I so love New mine. York. Really? Yeah. Um, no, I know which I know exactly what you're going to. <laughs> I'm like, come on. I think we have to wait till we're like 70, which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do know the the feeling and the status of working the Mac counter at Nordstrom that because when I was growing up, that's where I got my first, you know, eight things from Mac, you know, and it had a little thing like this, a little stand and like there was studio fix oh, and wow. maybe shag and yogurt, you know, and I would just like covet the Mac cosmetics. And so that's where you got your start. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. And then and my first job at Nordstrom's was gift wrapping and then the Mac counter opened and they knew that I was an art history major and they saw that I like could do makeup. So they asked me to join. So it was really awesome. Wait, so it was like the first, the first counter at yeah, Nordstrom? Yeah, it was the first <gasps> counter at Nordstrom. Oh, exciting. And which, yeah, Westlake Center. Okay, Westlake Center. Yeah. That is exciting. And so you felt like you arrived. I mean, that's all you really needed at that point, right? Yeah, I mean, Star it was quality. Like, and it was like when they opened, I mean... Like they had drag queens and they had these yes. like club kids with like plastic wigs and platform shoes. And at that point I was like, I, I knew I always wanted to get to New York, but it was like paper magazine, interview magazine, mm -hmm. that whole thing that was happening on the East Coast was what I wanted to be a part of because I mean, you too being from Portland, like we kind of grew up with grunge before grunge yeah. was grunge. Yeah. So like, I saw Mud Honey, Nirvana, all those bands at all ages clubs for free. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Seattle, Seattle, Seattle. And I was like, I need to get the fuck out. Like, I, these aren't my people. <laughs> that is too funny. I remember visually seeing like when my son asks me about like the hippie trend or eras, you know, certain eras, I mean, I can remember visually seeing that wave of grunge, you know, just come in and take over and then feeling like we were so a part of something that was becoming so mm -hmm. famous. And then, you know, it became something else. And yeah, we have definite bragging rights being able to see those bands on the ground floor for sure. That was totally exciting totally. stuff. And being yeah. able to see Mac and, and it's glory, you know, and it was first evolving that was it's something that I don't know I'm always talking about the kids today and how they but it's so true it's so true, it's it's so so true. Different. it very very there how was nothing your like, son he's 12 yeah he's 12 so I I think and he didn't know Portland at all yeah I, I gotta mm. get him there but um I think that there's nothing like the culture of the department store. And I don't know if it'll ever come back where you got to do every type of face and, you know, everybody would come to the counter and say, make me look like RuPaul, 
<laughs> at the time, <laughs> at the time, right? It was like boy, girl, anything. It was make me look like RuPaul. And like, you know, you it was like, it was such an amazing culture that I don't know if like the Sephora has, because that's only makeup, you know. Right. And I think because Mac was so much about the artistry. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was. Yeah. That too, I think is different because now everyone's basing education off of social. Yes. And there's this whole homogenous kind of look that's come in that everyone is expecting to either get or try to learn. And you're not, you don't, I don't know. It's such a different beast now because Back then it was so, you know, you had Bobby Brown and a little later it was like Laura Mercier and stuff like that. So you had your makeup artist brands who had their own point of difference, but Mac was just like pure artistry. Expression. Yeah. 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 That's very interesting. Now you think that they, they, what do they want to look like? They want to look like an Instagram artist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's, and it's hard to make faces look like a filtered, like an altered face. Right. Right. Or you do so much makeup that you think that having that filtered look is what you need to achieve. And that's even worse. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, don't get me started. I hear you. But your your claim to fame is kind of, is really like this clean, beautiful, I mean, you can simply say no makeup, makeup, but like, I feel like, you know, everybody is always referring to your style, you know, and, and really just making the person look like their best self. And that's right. something that's much harder than it looks, much harder than it looks. And what, Which is, what is so, it's funny. I mean, sorry to catch up. Yeah, no, it's just no, funny no. to me because I mean, Working in fashion, fashion's literally no makeup, makeup. Right. And like one you know thing. What I mean? Yeah. The skin. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So and you, it's, you were raised by Pat McGrath, right? Yeah. I assisted her back in, well, I met her in 97. Okay. And then Here, started work. Uh, actually, she did a capsule collection for Aveda. Okay. So I met her through them and I used to teach mm-hmm. for Aveda. Yeah. So I didn't get to New York until I reconnected with her the end of 99. And then I started assisting on her show team, but I was only with her for like less than a year and realized that that wasn't, it wasn't sustainable because I'd moved up here full time. I was broke. (laughs) Like, and then trying to wait to get paid. Not glamorous. Nope. (laughs) I was like, she needs a job. She needs to pay this rent. So then I went yes. back and got a job um, at Aveda doing um, in the sales and education department, which then went into marketing. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's how I kind of got my foot wet with product development and stuff. Because Aveda was still small, a small yes. team back then. And and you were in the color part of it? You were yeah. in... Uh, in When did they launch their makeup line? Oh, God. They launched makeup... Like- uh, it used to be called Indra. And really? Yeah. I didn't in the know early, that. Like late 80s, early 90s. Stop. Yeah. So they've had makeup forever. I didn't know this about Aveda. I yeah. didn't go to Aveda school. Um, it was incredible education for me. It really, really? was. Yeah. And then um, this is before they were acquired by Estee Lauder? Yeah. I think Lauder 
bought them in 97. Okay. Um, and it was around the same time that I want to say that Bobby Brown got purchased as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, they had, I mean, they still have makeup. Oh yes, I know. Um, I I love Aveda. I really do. But I remember a distinct shift in pre day and post, yeah. which was more skews and you know, but it was very yeah. like lots of food. There were like bars and it was it was, it was like, Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like Banana Republic. Remember when Banana Republic was like wooden floors and um, <laughs> you know, like it was like it was that kind of shift where it just became a little bit more organized and like I liked I remember the raw Aveda, the it was more earthy or yeah, yeah. Know. Yeah. When it was still Horace, the founder. Because yeah. I think he bought the building that the Fifth Avenue Aveda store was at. Okay. So that was his building. Oh, wow. And then he had the store on the ground floor. It's like Fifth and Eighth Street. Yes, yes, um, I know. It's still there, yes. Mm-hmm. And then um, that was kind of, I don't know if that was the flagship before the Institute, but then when the Institute, I mean, the Institute happened because of Lauder. Um, I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I I know the Institute well, because that's where I used to get all my facials when I was broke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know when they had Practice the students doing totally. <laughs> oh my Practice God. Amazing. Me, totally. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Um, but it is, it's the, it's the look of your natural beauty. Um, you know, that, that obviously appealed to Meghan Markle and sort of, you had been doing makeup for years before this epic wedding. And, you know, can you talk about that? How that fits into your life, you know, um, that it happens a lot where, you know, you are going along and you have a very accomplished, amazing career. And then you become a household name because of this iconic event. And I mean, how does it feel to you? I mean, now um, it's been a couple of years and you've been digesting it this whole time, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it it's easier to digest because we're we're real friends. Right. So like, I think it'd be a bit different if I was just hired because then having that stigma of, you know, oh, you're Meghan Markle's makeup artist. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, that would like, drive me apeshit crazy to sure i know i completely Um, understand do you know what i mean like if you're always that person's you know that person's always going to step before your talent Mm -hmm. um but i've had i've been friends with megan for 10 years and um when they announced the engagement we were still in touch but i just never thought that she would ask it just never you know i just because at that point we're all like, okay, she's in a whole different stratosphere. Yeah. Everything's different, but we still kept in touch. And then when she asked me, she literally texted me. Oh, so stop. I was like, that. I was like, okay. And then I'm like, but how does this work? How does this even, what next? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's like, how, like I'm in New York, she's in London. How do we coordinate a trial? Oh like, yeah, I forgot about the trial aspect. Yeah. Of, like developing. Yeah. 
<laughs> How did that work? We, it all was on um, Pinterest and texting. Stop it. That's so yeah. sweet. And at that point, we had been working with each other for so long that I knew what she wanted. Yep. So it was kind of easy. And then literally the day of was just like us reconnecting, getting back together. And again, like it, it I think if we weren't friends and we didn't know each other so well, it'd be a whole different dynamic. Yeah. Have you, have you had an experience like that where you've been, it's a big event and you're kind of nervous and you're hired for the event and oh, yeah. there's a like lot the on Met the line. Gala. The Met Gala. Okay. That's another look. Um, okay. Let's put a pin in that one because I do want to talk to you about the Met Gala as um, well. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's been situations or like a cover, a cover. of with, you know, with someone really special. So it's just, you kind of have to come prepared. I always, I mean, I love Pinterest for that reason because it's literally like my mood board. So mm-hmm. if a photographer is like, you know, this is where I'm thinking, then I can just pull up my Pinterest and like, I just have a ton of folders with all these images. So it's all, it's all like these historical references or makeup that I love. So much of it is 90s. Oh my God, cause... please. No. <laughs> Why? Of course it is. Of course, because you're smart. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, it's so, just, so you, you guys traded Pinterest boards and then did you know Serge was doing the hair? No. Or, oh, so that was the kicker. <laughs> so I didn't know what she was wearing and I didn't know who was doing her hair until the morning of the wedding. So you and Serge just like saw each other there. Oh my God. It was <laughs> like having not seen like a relative for like years. Cause I was coming in one way and he was coming down the stairs and we both locked eyes and it was just like this like sigh of relief because I feel so I was, emotional for some reason I don't know why <laughs> well it's it's I mean it's just I don't at the end of the day we wanted to make sure our friend looked her best exactly and I mean I'm sure you know this but like when you work with someone really well you know that everything's going to be okay and up to that point there was just so much happening you know outside of our bubble that we had no control over so we just wanted to feel like okay we want to make sure that she's taken care of but how do we do that and so much of it is the rapport that you have with the hairdresser or the designer whoever you're collaborating with so literally when he came walking down the stairs it was just like oh because if you're not vibing with the rest of the crew, oh my you feel God. You so alone. Yeah. And the talent feels it. And they're yeah. the ones that needs to be taken care of. Right. Right. I mean, are you of that thought that, that it is the client that is the most, you can tell, I heard you saying in an interview, I watched it so many um, with you. And that's what I love about you is you, you're in the corporate world and you are a brand, a brand ambassador, but yet you're so honest. And I just, I love that about you. I think it's so refreshing and wonderful. Um, but you were saying that, you know, you can feel when the talent or the client feels their best. Is that an instinct thing or is it just something that makes you a special makeup artist? Because I feel like a lot of people don't have that, that chip you know, and they just put their own thing on somebody's face. Right. I think it's important because I mean, it's like when you put on something like clothes and when it fits so well, you feel good in it. Yes. You should feel like that with your makeup. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your makeup should never feel like 
something that's going to hide who you are. And there's some people that love that full beat down that feels like, okay, once this is on, it's kind of like armor. Armor. So it, it separates the, you know, persona of that person to the rest of the world, which is totally fine. But if you aren't feeling good, you don't take good pictures. That's just yeah. a fact. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. part of my job is to make sure that you feel your best and to also trust me with what it is that you want to express. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't, if you can't share how you want to feel, that's a whole different ballgame. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So it's almost like I need to figure out what makes you feel most beautiful so I can make you feel proud of putting yourself out there. Wow. Wow. That is so essential for those, those press junkets like you do, you know, because they're they they have to feel, I feel like I, I was looking at one with Elizabeth Moss that you did. Um, and, you know, she looked very different in each shot in each, you know, interview, but always super confident. And it, it's what you're talking about. It's a balance of it being armor because it is a character, but it's also so soft and pretty. And yeah. that's what makes you such a, a great artist, I think. I think too, because of the women that I work with, they play a character. Oh. So when they're not working, they just want to look pretty. <laughs> yeah, simple. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. for Handmaids, Lizzie is literally in no makeup and just looking right. just ratchet and just like beat down. So when she's like herself, she just wants to feel good and look pretty. Yeah, that's true. She very rarely gets to do that since Peggy's gone away. <laughs> right, right, totally. She's totally. murdering people and getting her oh, right. doing all this great scenery chewing. <laughs> totally. um, so, so about the Met Ball, so that's very different. So that's not, you, you weren't doing your friend. You were doing Ruth, yeah? Oh, yeah, Ruth's amazing. And so talented. And how did that, how did that come about? You must've been so excited. You're like, oh, it's yeah. you want to do it? Totally, totally. <laughs> was that camp the, year? Yeah, that was okay. camp year. So also too, you have to really understand their themes in particular because oh. it could either borderline go very camp or not enough. So oh gosh, that, that's worse, right? Yeah, Not enough yeah. is worse. They had their vision for the talent. And then you also have to appease the talent themselves. So her camp was the big hair. Yeah, very exaggerated. So I was like, okay, let's really give your brows like a really hard That's what I was just going to say. How did you do those brows? Because those are some brow goals. Yeah. I mean, she has a really high arch naturally, but I really exaggerated it. Nice. So that was kind of like the camp element. I think okay. if I took her makeup any further, she would almost look like she's trying too hard. Mm-hmm, 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 so mm-hmm. it's like, where do you find that balance of like nodding the theme without losing integrity of who you are? Because if you're not comfortable with what hair and makeup has done, you're not going to feel good in that dress. And then it looks bad in the picture. And then the designer's pissed that like something's off. And it's, yeah. it's all designer centric for the Met yes. Ball. Yes. yes. It's, you 100%. must. Okay. So, so has it, has there, has there ever been a situation or a fear that you might 
upstage or not be in alignment with the designer? Oh yeah, yeah. Usually with the Met Gala, the um, talent's going with the designer. So got either it, the designer it. will be there through the whole time and this is kind of like their moment with their Barbie doll, so to yes, speak. Yes, yes, yes. Or their team has sent references and then you have, you know, you have this to play off of. Got um, it. Yeah, so, I mean, you can kind of go back and look at pictures and just like see the cringeworthy looks over the years <laughs> and you're like something's off here but somebody wasn't if in alignment here yeah I, yeah interesting interesting um and then another look i wanted to talk to you about was Gemma chan you did a lot of work uh, with yeah. Gemma, and this is super sexy and i wanted to ask you specifically how how you made the lashes or the eyes or something is really inviting and like sexy about this yet it still looks like every not everyday makeup I mean I wish this was my everyday makeup <laughs> but it's that it's was glamorous but it's still yeah simple. I think it's it that was the last shot of oh. the day oh well and it was literally magical. they they yeah they set up this like we they wanted to create this like backstage element so literally she was just in the mirror waiting for them to adjust the lights when the photographer was like, oh my God, stay there. And that's where you get the best pictures too, is it was like this candid moment. Her makeup never changed. The looks changed through that, through that day. But literally that was the last shot. And she was just like hanging out. Her arms were on the mirror and just, and he, oh God, I can't remember if it was a he or she, I think it was a, a male photographer just started shooting her and that's what he caught and it was so beautiful because it was just this moment that wasn't posed it wasn't forced and I think that's what comes through oh yeah I mean it's effort completely effortless. yeah it's but beautiful. she's amazing and she just like I've learned I learned a lot about like I've learned a lot of new makeup stuff from Gemma actually oh really um, like yeah what? she had like uh, she introduced me to the benefit eyebrow. Gel. I have it. I have it on right now. I. Uh, oh my obsessed. god, that stuff is magic. Why is it like, so good? I know. <laughs> for her, she was like, "This is the only brow gel I use, and this is why." And I was like, "Oh my god!" Because Asians have like really straight, long brows. Yeah. And they just don't hold. And this one, just the way she did, I was like, okay, I need this in my kit. <laughs> and like, she has this mascara trick where um, she takes a wand from one mascara and the formula from another mascara and put in, that's her combination. I love I can't, that. Yeah, I can't remember what the mascaras were, but they were like, Maybe I think it was like L'Oreal. Like the formula was L'Oreal. Oh, the the um the one voluminous probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're different in the UK. The oh, of course. So Always. she has this way of yeah, and it was just awesome. I was like, oh my god, that is yeah. too funny. I know when I go to the UK or somebody goes, I make them bring me back Elnet because the, oh the, yeah the size of the aerosol and. I just, everybody says, Ben, I saw this at the store. And I'm like, no. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> they don't understand, Daniel. And then <laughs> I was looking up the um, Black, uh, it, the Italian Vogue that you worked on. You did Veronica Webb and then came across this 
shoot. Um, because I guess Veronica Webb and you, um, I love Veronica. She's yeah, a love amazing. amazing. And so you've done so much amazing work together. I know she has melasma. Um, Yeah. I, I don't think I'm outing her or anything. I mean, she talks. Oh, about- no, no, no. Okay. She's very open about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what, yeah. Are some, what are some tricks that you remember doing with that? Do you have to use correction? Or- yeah, I use, a, oh gosh, it's Cryolon Derma. Derma oh. Derma color, Derma. Flosh. Derma blend, Derma flash. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, so. And there's just something about that particular formula that ah. just really grabs onto foundation. Okay. When you put it on top of it, so you correct with it. And then um, I'll just use a light, light dusting of powder just to set that. And then I can go over it with foundation ah, and it locks down. Nice. Well, it, her skin looks flawless. And then do you remember when this shoot was? Yeah. So that was a lookbook shoot for our friend Sophie Thiele's line. So her and Sophie have known each other for like I think almost like 30 years because wow. Sophie used to work under Azadine Alaya oh. and Veronica was like his daughter. Wow. Yeah. So they've known each other forever, but Sophie used to live here in New York and we were Sophie shooting. Sophie worked under Azadine. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And she worked under Jean-Paul Gaultier as well. Wow. And this was her first lookbook? That was her. Oh gosh. Good question. I want to say Sophie won the CFDA. Um, oh God, seven years ago, almost ten years ago, maybe. Um, that was pretty well into her tenure here. Like, I don't know what season that was, but that was a lookbook shoot for her. Um, Sophie is now living in Montreal. She okay. moved to Montreal. Um, and she's still designing and stuff, but um, yeah. So that was a lookbook shoot. And then the and, um, the Italian Vogue shoot that was that was two thousand eight. That was I know easy. What? Oh my god! It brought me to this whole train of thought that I wanted to explore with you about uh, diversity and how that was 2008 that was italian vogue and i i don't know how why was it so long ago and then what happened 2009 through (laughs) you know where where what's happening with diversity daniel what's happening are we getting anywhere it's a hot mess girl i know i i I'm worried. And <laughs> I, I mean, I think about your 12 year old son. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wonder what they're all thinking. Like this should evolve, not necessarily. I mean, it would have in a incredible world, it would have been fixed by now, but obviously it's not. And I feel like we're even digressed to when, you know, us dealing with the Rodney King situation back in 1990. My God. And now it's like, just George Floyd. And it's like, yeah, what, it's, what was that? 1992 Rodney King? Yeah. So it's like, why haven't we as a culture figure this shit out? Like, no, it's, it's disgusting. And it's gotten to a point where it's just pure hate. Right. And, and what is making it that? Is it the, why is it so 
hurtful and strong? Is it because of the anonymity of social media? I mean, is it, it's, I'll tell you something. Can I tell you something? I know I didn't prepare you for this and we don't know. No, <laughs> I am all about it. Not I wanted to have, um, when, when AAPI stop, AAPI, stop Asian hate uh, was, uh, the hashtag like two weeks ago, almost like, or three, I was like, I said to, to Kelly, should we do one on, on this? Should we have a conversation on this on the podcast? And then, um, we decided that we were too nervous to handle the conversation. Okay. Cause I was scared of saying the wrong thing and, and whatnot. And I was going to like call Kathleen Howe and, you know, from the cut and see mm -hmm. if she wanted to come on to uh, talk to you about this, um, Daniel. And, you know, she said, I just don't know how we navigate the comments, the, the, what, what happens if we misstep? And that made me so devastated because here we are having a platform where we're able to have these conversations and yet we're scared of saying the wrong thing and having us shut our whole thing down. So wouldn't it be better if I made the mistake in front of you and you can just correct me and you can say, Tiffany, that this is how we need to think about things from now on, you know, and I'm yeah. having it in public. I view that as really healthy. And, um, you know, I've made, I made a lot of mistakes with BLM and then I was able to have people that I trust and love, correct me, fix, you know, go, no, no. And that I can have the conversation. But now I feel like everybody is so afraid that we don't ever get to have the conversation. Like Kathleen, Howe deleted her whole social media. Right. Right. What I are mean, you that seeing? was just, I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, BLM and what's happening now are two separate situations. 100%, right? That's the first thing. Yeah. So I feel like at the end of the day, it's a human rights issue. Yes. And it's unfortunate that it's targeted to um, the AAPI community because they're an easy target. And it goes back to the rhetoric of the last administration. Uh -huh. So if they didn't plant the seed... Yeah and say that this virus that no one knew anything about came out of China, it didn't imprint in everyone's brain that this was hurting so many people. Yeah. So that's the, that's the core of this misinformation right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, you know, mental illness, whoever took that information and now we're seeing that, okay, the AAPI community is what's caused this. So let me go after, but like what happened last yesterday on oh, 43rd street. I saw that. That was just pure hate. Yeah. And we got to come together to feel like, okay, when we see shit like that happen, we need to say something because those three guys who witnessed that and just closed the door they're just as complicit as the dude who did what he did to that woman. Exactly. exactly. So we need to see, if we see something, we need to say something, we need to nip it in the bud. And that's where the education starts. That's where the empathy starts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like instead of trying to figure out what the best protocol or best way to handle this is just go with your gut instinct. If you see something, you have to say something. 
You know what I mean? I don't know where we lost empathy. Is it is it because we're too scared to get involved? Is there a consequence for getting involved? Okay, so we need to reward people for getting involved, right? What or we- acknowledge or, I mean, I don't know. It's so right? bizarre because literally all three men just stood there. I know. And closed and the, the door. One, and closed the door. So I... I I, I mean, it's, if it's, I saw something, I would definitely, I would have run out. I would have, you know, if he was across the street, at least acknowledged her, but they literally just stood there and watched. And then, I mean, I wonder what those guys are thinking now because the whole world is looking at them. I mean, like, have they had anything to say for themselves? No, it hasn't been revisited. We don't know what, no. where that has gone. Yeah. Right. I wish that there was some kind of law that you were breaking by being complicit. <laughs> right. You know right. what I mean? It seems it seems there's no consequence for being complicit with something, but there is a consequence for being involved. Like I guess they thought they would get hurt. I mean, these three tough guys. <laughs> right. Or accused of doing that to her. I don't know. Uh, like it's interesting. It's just it's that just the fact that they like the one guy who was the delivery guy he literally saw her get kicked in the head so there's one person that witnessed that whole entire situation and then you see the two other guys come in and then shut the door yeah so it just doesn't make sense and i think that's what we're all grappling at is the fact that no one stood up for her or no one inquired about what had happened um, they just let it happen. Yeah. But now what's, I did see at the Arlo hotel. Did you hear oh, about that? Yeah. Um, they seem to be holding the hotel responsible, right. For not for basically accusing the, the child of stealing yeah. the phone. So, so I guess that's what we could do is hold that venue responsible. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I know that there was a call to action to uh, the management company, I think it was Brodsky, Ah. who managed that apartment building, who then put out this statement saying that um, the doormen, because they're union, are suspended without pay and then being investigated. Okay. And also the delivery guy who was there. Okay. Um, So they're doing their due diligence, but like you said, what is the consequence for those men who did nothing? Right. That's what needs to happen. Yes. And yeah. what, what else can we do? What else, what resources can, can we do? I mean, AAIP, um, AAPI, um, stopasianhate.org is a great organization. Okay. They list so much um, where you can donate, where you can help. Um, I know that there's other um, local um, organizations that you can either donate to, but so much of it is just education mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just and checking in on your knowledge and checking in on your friends. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have to admit, like I signed up for uh, like self-defense classes this week. Mm. Cause like, I just don't want to be put in a situation that I can't get myself out of. And this is the first time living in New York. I've been here over 20 years. 
that I feel like this. I don't like hearing that. I haven't taken the subway in months just because I'm like, I don't want to have to deal with that shit. Wow. Yeah. It's the I first mean, time I've ever felt like I'm, I'm a target. It really feels like up. moving backwards in time. I yeah. Really. I then, mean, it's like bad 80s New York without the creativity. It <laughs> <laughs> is so accurate, right? Yeah. Oh my God. And then what what about the call to to beauty brands for um, you know, taking a stand? How do you feel about that? I mean, every brand is different. Uh-huh. And, you know, as long as they make the acknowledgement, um, you know, and then I know like we at Tatcha, we did, we donated to a few charities, but again, you know, it's having these conversations with your teams. We need more representation in C-suite positions. Um, we just need more visibility. Um, even in journalism, like in the beginning, these stories weren't being reported because there were no, no mainstream journalists of Asian descent that would bring it to it to its attention. No one uh, on that Anderson Cooper level or right, Rachel Maddow level. Of course. I mean, I think in the 80s we had like Connie Chung. Connie Chung, when, that was it. That was it. Ann Colt is Ann, not Ann Coulter, Ann Curry, who's yeah. biracial. Right. He never really spoke about you know, her being Asian, but she was kind of like the last. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lisa Ling, who's now on um, CNN, Mm -hmm. but she's a correspondent. So, and she's using her platform now, but there's not a lot. Right, 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 right. Well, so, so what we can do is just, is, is just pay attention right now. Right. Yeah. Really deeply, deeply listen. Yes. Because it's, it's, shocking to me to hear these stories and see these events. But um, until I saw them, you know, even in in social media and on the news, as of recently, I I truly I I didn't realize that it was all coming up again like this, because we're in our bubble that of course, would never consider these behaviors, these thoughts, these things. So you have to show the ugly things in order to confront them. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. Wow. It's wow. we've been living in a bubble, I think, in New York for so long. That's true. It's that true. When these things happen, it's like a wake-up call. I think that the more divided we become, uh, somebody said to me that it was good to have those four years of division because we truly would have just gone and operating on a level of superiority and not ever knowing that this underbelly existed until right. they were empowered to to speak out. And then we're like, right. wow. I'm not in a time machine. This is happening in my decade. Mm -hmm. Wow. But yeah, it's true. I just hope it gets better for your son. (laughs) You know, it's so funny you should say that because he, I was showing him a a document, I think on Stacey Abrams or one, and it was social, it was a social um, documentary. And I I was showing him stuff from the sixties and Selma was in the footage and my son said, turn this off. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to see this is scary. And then I said, you have to see what, what all these people came from, what all these people. And he said, he said to me, and I just wanted to die. He said, this is happening at the Barclays center, mom. I can see it anytime. And it's really Uh, scary. And I was like, oh my God, it's happening in his, 
this is real news for him. It's the past right. for me. And now it's happening again. He's like, I can see this level of anger and violence at any time on my daily mm. news. And I was, he was, he was like, I need a break from all of it. And I was like, yeah. wow, I forgot that we're there right. again. <laughs> right, right. So, wow, that's so interesting. It's lucky in a way that he is he's able to to hear all of this as it's happening and he's I feel this generation will be so empowered to take positive action and be yeah. an incredible generation and be the most powerful to create change, really. Yeah. But um it's sad that they have to revisit all this. Yeah. You know? I mean yeah, it's interesting to see the city kids yeah. Yeah. Um, go through all of this and then look at kids who aren't, in, you know, like I look at my nieces and nephews who are in Seattle and or like in a suburb outside of Seattle and it's so different. Yeah. And just the perspectives of what's happening socially has been really, really interesting. How are they seeing um, it? Um, they... they I think they're they're just removed mm -hmm, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it's not in their face. Whereas your son is literally walking outside and he's seeing all of this, right? He's experiencing yeah. all of this, yeah, yeah. And there is um, an awareness and a like a toughness, yeah. Being a city kid, but the most um, empathy ever, <laughs> which yes, is a, yes. the blessing of all of it, yeah. Right. A hundred percent. Thank God for that. It's the only positive thing, but it is quite positive. So, yeah. and it's what will take, it will take the empathy, I guess, is the key that we're, we're taking away from seeing all of this. Yeah. Yeah. For um, sure. I can't believe I sidetracked you with all of that. But isn't it, but isn't it funny how I think it's, it's people think the, the big thing about this, this particular podcast is that, you know, we have a lot of listeners that that are makeup junkies and, and are, you know, of the elite, um, you know, circle of beauty, but also a lot of people who don't realize that makeup artists think about these things. <laughs> they think that, the, you know, we just are worried about that perfect lip or, you know, you're just, you're just, how do you do a natural smoky eye? And this whole world of beauty gives everybody access to a mosaic of people. And I mean, that was the best part about working at the counter, right? You could, you had every, every type of person. I mean, 100%. people, let's be honest, we're freaking homeless. And they were like, <laughs> they just wanted a break from, from it. And, and you know what? Sometimes you just did their makeup anyway, and you knew they weren't going to buy yeah. anything. And like, it was somebody off the street who just wanted to play. And yeah. That's that's what made us all so so leveled. And I Later. think too, like we makeup brings people together yeah. because of how it makes them feel. This pandemic definitely like was a wake up call for me and how I understand what makeup can do and the power that it gives. But also, you know as it brings us together, we really need to understand that there is life outside of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so, it's beautiful and it's, it's exhilarating and it makes, you know, it yeah. gives you that empowerment, but at the same time, it's, you know, you have to be very aware of everything else. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, how, 
how have you redefined or altered your purpose in this? Like you are at Tatcha, you, you are at the, I'd say corporate level, you know, like not to sound, but you can make a, a big difference with business, right? A business of beauty. How, how have you changed or, or thought that makeup is more? I think, I think for me and for where the brand wants to, where the brand wants to go is um, Vicky always, the founder of Tatcha, uh, Victoria Sai, has always told me that I'm in the business of taking care of people's skin. I'm not in the skincare business. Mm. So mm-hmm. always yeah. having that in the back of my mind, whether we're creating new products or how we're, you know, um, even relating to customers is always going to be something that's more nurturing and more, um, you know, I don't want to say self-care. Uh, you know, I guess it is self-care, but you have to break that. You have to take the salesy part out. Yeah. And it's so much about the connection of the product to the person. And I think right now, because the whole business is flooded with all of these like celebrity brands and skincare brands that don't really have a point of difference, it's really confusing to the consumer to understand what's good for their skin or not. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're spending so much money now to find that one product that really works for you. So I think what, you know, what brands need to do now is really connect with a person on an an emotional level Mm -hmm. because trends are fleeting, you know, what could be hot on TikTok right now, give it a week and it's gone. Yeah. So it's this, you know, entrapment of catch up that you're playing to either pump out new product or pump out like a trend that's trending. But at the end of the day, you need to connect with the, the consumer and yes. it needs to be authentic. So I think that's what people are going to be shopping for is that authentic connection, that story that resonates with them. Not so much about like the hot new eyeshadow color or, you know, the 820 skincare stuff. <laughs> like, I know, I, I really like how Tasha is like, like the water, the water cream is good for mm-hmm. every skin type. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's true. It's, it's beautiful and works on everybody. And yeah. I, I think things like that are real, you know, rather than it be, it, it's something that'll make you, you know, as we know with aging, our skin <laughs> behaves differently and you can use it totally. for a lifetime, you know? Yeah. I can't ever believe I had oily skin. Like, please bring it <laughs> <Right>. back. <laughs> totally. Oh my God. Yeah. I feel like this pandemic has completely threw my skin out of whack. Oh my so I'm still God. trying to figure out. You said you had eczema in some of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm still suffering. Like the last week, I think because I, it was such a busy week, I would scratch my arm oh. and it would hive up. Oh like, God. That's yeah. stress. Stress. Yeah. Oh. So it's just like trying to figure out and balance out everything because it's <laughs> getting I older know. sucks. But then on top of it, like trying to figure out your skin is even worse. <laughs> There's a reason they call it science, I guess. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> well, totally. I am so happy for you. Uh, and you're loving Jones Road Beauty, right? Is that what oh I've my been God, hearing? Yeah. Yes. And just like 
to be able to have this newfound relationship with Bobby Brown. Yeah. He's an icon. Yeah. Like, she's the coolest woman ever. Like, oh my God. She's just, I mean, there's a reason why she is who she is. And she's so, like, giving of, of her knowledge. Yeah, like, definitely. Really incredible. I love seeing this this phase of her because I just feel like, you know, I'm surprised by it, you know, and I, I, I'm surprised that it's so simple and yeah. I just, I love all of the stuff and I just it's so good. welcome it. And I think it's yeah. a perfect time for her to just 100%. keep it simple and perfect. Yeah. And it really goes well with Tatcha too, because like, it's just like a few simple things that you can rely on and yep. it just hundred percent. Yeah. Like simple, effective ingredients. That's what anybody wants right now. Exactly. No one has time for fussy. It's going to be really interesting to see once we get out of this COVID situation, where we're going to head to. To like roaring 20s versus simple? Right. Yeah. Or if it's celebrating, are we still going to dress up? Are we still exactly. going to, I mean, because people want to get dressed up, but they're not wearing as much. Ah, that's true. Like, right? especially makeup. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. being with Maya, she was like, I just want to feel like myself. She doesn't, you know, also too, she's playing a character on SNL. So everything's constantly changing. But when we were doing press, she was like, I just want to look and feel like my best self. She, I and have I to say that's what, those press photos, she looked stunning. stunning. Those were fun. Yeah. Beautiful. Really beautiful. Beautiful. Her yeah, skin is probably were, amazing. Oh, amazing. <laughs> and she is, she's time. just such a good person. You know what I mean? And she felt good. So that goes back to what we were saying. Like yeah. once you feel good, your pictures says it all. Well, I think it has to do with having a master at the uh, makeup artistry end of things, you know, think, think you have to give yourself a little bit of credit. <laughs> it was a great team. We have, it was a really great team. Thanks for listening to our conversation, everybody. And I hope that you check out the links that I have in the show notes for Stop AAPI Hate. And please continue to do what you can. Keep doing what you're doing to stop what's happening out there. And when you see something, say something, do something, do whatever you can. Keep doing it. Next week, it is somebody's birthday. And that somebody is Selena. So I am having a Selena expert on, San Seguenza. He's an incredible artist, a dear, dear friend of mine, and someone who knows so much about Selena. So we are going to celebrate her next week. I hope you will tune in. That's Friday, and I'll see you then. Look Behind the Look is a Vinyl Foot production written by me, your host, Tiffany Bartok, produced by Jace Bartok, and produced and edited by Kelly Riley, with audio engineering by Nicole Tucker. If you're interested in learning more, find our video version on the YouTube channel, Look Behind the Look Podcast. There you can see rare photos and clips from our guests. And please follow us on Twitter at Look Behind Pod and Instagram at Look Behind the Look. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. And tell your friends and spread the word. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or any podcatcher of your choice. Thanks for listening to Look Behind the Look.